0: Good morning. This is Bakes, Kevin Baker with Bakes Takes. Welcome to the podcast. This is uh, for the show ending Sunday, October 11th. Uh, number one, the stock market is saying Trump is still going to win. Number two, bonds still suck. I'm saying that. Number three, levity is still much needed, and I'm saying that as well. So let's get right into the show. This is um, uh, the first segment, my, my first take. Uh, on on my portfolio, obviously we own Hero H E R O, the ETF that invests in Nvidia and other uh, uh, gaming and esports uh, companies. And it seems like every week uh, there's a new college that touts its its esports initiative they're sponsoring a team they're financing a new facility and i just flat believe this isn't a covid trend it's just a very strong trend uh they're showing up on podcasts left and right there are stars being created that are you know fortnite champions or what have you and i just flat believe in the Uh, uh, in the esports trend and so we're going to play it uh, until the charts tell me not to or the fundamentals tell me not to but uh, it just seems to be massive and I want to as always I want to hear your thoughts especially for my my uh, younger uh, viewers and and listeners please tell me what you're seeing out there and are there other ways that we should participate and uh, the more back and forth we have the more fun this is for all of us especially me. Uh, Next take, fan mail. Uh, uh, Charlie from New York called in and uh, uh, asked about a Biden victory lifting stock prices, uh, especially given all the Fed stimulus. Uh, Does Biden's proposed spending on infrastructure, healthcare, the the lessening of trade friction, especially with China? And is a Biden victory more constructive for stock market long-term? And I you know, I, I, I check my biases at the door as best I can. And I really gave this a lot of thought. And I went back to a chart, Mike, we'd brought this up before and uh, I'm doing it again. This is, uh, the, the, uh, the stock market returns for the various presidents. I only highlighted four in this case to make some points because it gets really noisy if I put them all up there. But bottom line is if the stock market is is down during a president's term he gets kicked out in this case it's herbert hoover it's the most dramatic example jimmy carter is another one but bottom line is that hoover in uh, uh at the end of the war roaring 20s Uh, 1928 to 1932 the crash happened obviously in in 29 the low for the stock market was 42 dollars on the dow in 1932 and Hoover everybody hated him for obvious reasons. It wasn't his fault, but it doesn't matter. He's sitting in the office and everybody is feeling tremendous amounts of pain and anger and they take it out on the president. So then we go to the longest line in this chart FDR. Came in in 1932 with the Dow at 42. The market then rebounded fivefold in the span of 5 years and so he was elected in 32. 36, 40, 44, which is why the line is longer than than, uh, all the other presidents that are here. Uh, Obviously, he's the reason for term limits. Uh, In uh, uh, three months after the election in 1944, he passed away. Uh, The public was being told his health was much better than it was. It was obviously still during the war. Uh, But the returns that that happened because of he came in at the low uh, uh, shows if the trend is up the stock market is up it's a reflection of social mood and people do that and they go to the voting booth and they keep the incumbent in and we see it time and time again uh the 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 top line is Clinton the best returns of of any president period and. Uh, that's 92 to 2000. He was obviously impeached. There was a scandal you might have heard about. and uh, uh, But it doesn't matter. If the trend is up, uh, we keep the incumbent in. Now, hold on to your hats, folks. Uh, Trump, w- whether you like him, whether you hate him, the stock market is up 50% from his election. That's the blue line that you see here. And so the stock market is saying th- that People feel better about their wallets, and they want to keep the incumbent in. That is not consensus thinking. That is not reflected in the polls. I don't care. I'm going to go by what the history suggests, and the stock market is saying that uh, Trump is going to be in. So, uh, and I know the, reg- the, the the thoughts, okay? Trump, uh, his lower taxes and lower regulation are good for stocks. That's what drew- juiced it up. Um Biden's proposals for infrastructure will be good. Uh, So, you know, uh, almost anybody who wins is going to be good for the stock market. I'm just saying this is the history. I believe this fervently. And predicting what's going to get through the next Congress is way beyond my pay grade. We don't know if there's going to be a blue wave, if there's going to be um uh you know some sort of a of, of a gridlock uh I'm not dazzled by any politician I have seen over the last four eight 12 16 20 years uh uh Winston Churchill and Abe Lincoln I'm dazzled everybody else is running for second or third or eighth um so that was the long-term perspective it's a long-winded answer Charlie but there's more coming the most recent three months have a very good track record of predicting the president as well. It's 20 for 23, as you can see on the chart here. So if the market is up in the three months preceding the the, the election, people feel good about their stock portfolios, their wealth, the economy in general. Uh, as crazy as this year has been, the last three months, the, the stock market is up 7.3%. Every time the 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 market has been a seven percent plus in the three months up to the election the incumbent wins and yes that is donald j trump and he probably didn't approve this message but that's what's going on so i know that's a bit controversial and a bit out of consensus but the facts are stubborn things that's the history and it could be different this time i don't think that's the way to bet Uh, is the market price for this? Doubt it. I really doubt it. And uh, we'll see. So I hope that's uh, helpful um, uh, to your question, Charlie. And then there's more. Uh, I didn't put this in the podcast section, but because it's germane, I wanted to give it to you. So uh, this is the Compound Show podcast with Josh Brown. He's the CEO, CEO of Ritholtz Wealth Management. I cite him a lot. I just think he's very entertaining. I think we're brothers from another mother. Uh, at 47 minutes, Josh talks about uh, Eisenhower and, and Obama. And I'll tell you why. Because uh, Eisenhower obviously had great stock markets as well. Was it his doing? No, it was the end of the war capital being allocated to more productive purposes, the greatest generation coming back and buying uh, a washing machines and Chevrolets, like it says in the Alabama song. And he's the beneficiary. So he stayed in for his terms because the stock market is up. He didn't create it. It's He was there. And obviously a very uh, highly regarded general during World War II, but uh, the the um, I'll go to Obama. Then I'll finish with my thought. Uh, Obama came in in 2008, and the depths of the financial crisis. Everything he was going to do was going to look good because things looked awful. We just saw Lehman Brothers and Bear Stearns evaporate in a couple of afternoons, and people were terrified. So what do you do when you're terrified? You go for something new that looks like hope. And of course that was, you know, his, his mantra. So uh, Josh finishes with a thought that I want to have reverberate in your head. The presidents get too much credit when things are good and they get too much blame when things are bad and it's happening again. It will happen. I think because human nature is what it is. So my take, uh, focus on the charts, focus on groups and let the market tell you what is promising, and ignore the prognosticators, especially the ones that are telling you to build blue wave portfolios and and uh, uh, overweight clean energy. Uh, a lot of that has already been priced in, so let's be systematic about this as we go forward, but be ready for midnight, November 3rd, Trump wins, and, and uh, it being pretty decisive, and then who knows what happens between now and uh, uh, inauguration? So those are my thoughts, and I'm sticking to them. And I want to get your uh, thoughts, ideas, services you'd like me to add. Uh, your feedback is invaluable. I really appreciate it. I'm uh, talking to a number of folks about newsletters and, and Slack groups and things like that that add value to uh, you know my reading that I do over, over the course of the week, and I hope you find it uh, valuable. There we go you can keep that one in Mike. Uh, uh, Podcast of the week. This is the next segment. This is the all in podcast. I talk about this a fair amount. Uh, This is four poker buddies. And I guess kind of like the the idea about this, but they're four poker buddies that are very influential in Silicon Valley. Uh, Chamath Palihapitiya. Uh, is the king of SPACs, if you will. Uh, David Freeberg and David Sachs are, are uh, internet entrepreneurs. Jason Calacanis is a uh, an angel investor. I just like the banter. I just think it's really clever, very thoughtful, very bright uh, people. And at three minutes, uh, Chamath uh, talks about how he kickstarted or why he kickstarted the SPAC movement, special purpose acquisition corporations. It seems like they're in the news virtually every day. And I think he gives a very reasoned explanation for why he's involved in this format, why he thinks it's helpful and valuable. I think he's one of the more uh, reputable uh, SPAC sponsors. I think there there are some that are questionable. And I, do, I don't have the, the chart that I've shared in the past, but my uh, uh, bias has been when I pull up SPACs, I see them being very high in 07, 08 and going away in 2009. When I see phenomenon that occur at stock market peaks, it makes me nervous. It's happening again. And it doesn't mean that it's fatal and it's not going to be uh, imminent. But I want you to be very discerning when you you invest in any SPAC or any company that is acquired by a SPAC. So uh, the next Podcast is uh, Jason Calacanis, his twist uh, this week in startups, and uh, I was really struck by this. Uh, again, he's a, a Silicon Valley uh, uh, insider, to put it mildly, and he had an emergency podcast very recently, and he th- he thinks that the Apple Twelve is a joke, and gave it an F minus. Uh, he says there's no super cycle for upgrades, very little innovation. Was very damning about it, and uh, the first time that in that he is not buying uh, a new iPhone out of the gate. Now it's one man's opinion, but it's an influential Silicon Valley angel investor saying that the iPhone uh, is going to be disappointing. Why do I bring that up? Uh, I normally don't talk about individual stocks. I add certainly very little to the 47 analysts. I'm making that number up that uh, cover Apple in depth. But, but some thoughts. Uh, revenue growth is anemic, uh, that's just a fact. 9% earnings growth is the, is the you know, first call estimates for this year, up 19% next. The numbers have been coming down. The PE is 37, which is lofty by any measure. Uh, the volume is picking up on the down weeks, as I show in, in, in this case. This is the weekly chart, not the daily goes back a long time. It's not a horrendous chart. I don't think it's going to fall apart tomorrow. But uh, so here are my takes. Uh, With SPACs, proceed with caution, a lot of caution. If Apple rolls over, the market's going to have a tough time. It is the number one stock in the S&P. It's 7.3% of the index. Everybody owns it. And it's a $2.1 trillion market cap. So if the drum roll starts to 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 uh, get into sync with calicanus that the iPhone cycle and, and the 5G hype is overhyped. Then you're going to see numbers come down and Apple potentially, uh, you know, come down substantially from a 37 price earnings multiple. So just be careful out there if you own Apple. And will I'll deploy my cell discipline if if those those triggers happen with the moving averages that I've talked about in the past. But Apple's in every damn portfolio that's out there, so you know I think watching Apple is going to be very interesting, and um, I, I'm curious to see what you think of the. Um, uh, the iPhone 12, if you have it in your hands, tell me what you think. And maybe, maybe Calacanis is dead wrong. And I'd love to hear that too. Uh, the next podcast is from The Economist Radio. And I like The Economist. I talk about them a fair amount. They're London-based, but they're certainly global. They have very good reporters all over the globe. And uh, there's a, 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 a about a 10-minute segment on their most recent podcast talking about China and Taiwan tensions escalating. And I kind of had deja vu because we talked on the podcast, Mike, two or three weeks ago about China-India disputing a border, uh, shooting uh, deaths on both sides that you can't really get confirmation about numbers or what have you, or the details. But so here's another one, uh, the island nation of Taiwan, uh, military tensions escalating between the two countries. And uh, uh, I just bring this up because it's one of these uh, phenomena where it shows up on page 19 of The Economist. That isn't really, I'm making that up too. But uh, if it progresses so it's on page one, two, or three of The Wall Street Journal at some point, I don't want you to be surprised that, oh, there's a military conflict in this far-flung part of the world that could potentially involve us and, and cause reverberations through... The, the markets, especially the stock markets. So I'll keep an eye on this. I ask you to. And uh, I'd love to get your feedback, especially if you travel there or live there or have firsthand knowledge of what's happening in these two countries. Uh, I, I would love to incorporate those those details into the show. Next segment is Reporters of the Week. And uh, this is from the Wall Street Journal, Kirk Maltese and and Will Horner. And i uh, uh I bring this up because it showed up in a chart, W-E-A-T, the ETF that uh, mirrors uh, wheat futures that I highlighted, I think, last week. And uh, wheat prices have hit their highest level in over five years uh, in, in reaction to scorching weather, concerns, concerns over food insecurity brought about by the pandemic and lockdowns. And, uh, you know, the most active futures contract is uh, now... Over six oh seven a bushel, highest close for wheat since June two thousand fifteen. Uh, wheat futures have gone up fifteen percent since August first, and there's a lot of people that think this the price surge could continue. Uh, dry weather this year has 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 whacked wheat growing areas in the U.S., Ukraine, and Russia. And uh, I put up the the wheat chart here just to uh, highlight, uh, I think, a good example of a process that's worked for me over the years, whereby I start with the charts, 1700 plus in this case, but I did this specifically in healthcare forever. Find the charts that are most promising and then see if the fundamentals back those up. You always have to have both. You have to have the technical uh, 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 backdrop and I wanna have the fundamentals that are good but getting better and exceeding expectations in the future. And you have to uh, go through a lot of uh, reps, because a lot of time these are dead ends. But I'm exploring wheat to see if it's worth all of us investing in. Um, the, you know, the chart is going to guide me to other data points. My hope is that our community grows, and it is. Uh, I'm never satisfied with growth, but it's good. And we all come up with off-the-beaten-path ideas that we can profit from. And the more this is a dialogue versus me talking like I am by myself today, um, uh, I think this is gonna add value to, to a lot of folks. My next uh, segment is uh, charts and tweets of the week. And this is from Howard Marks memo that just came out. He is the, uh, uh, I believe the chairman of, of Oaktree. He, he uh, has made a fortune buying distressed debt I think he's got a his I recommend his his memos you can just sign up for yourself anytime you want um, and he he shows here and I hope you go to the YouTube channel to see this if you're listening uh, on the podcast but he, he shows the hierarchy of risk obviously treasuries are virtually riskless the credit of the United States is 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 impeccable and then if you go higher up the spectrum, high-grade bonds are riskier, you have to get paid more. Quality stocks, riskier, you have to get paid more. Uh, aggressive stocks, high-yield bonds, private equity, you get the idea. And then he shows the risk-free rate coming down as it has from, let's say, the fives to the zeros, where uh, the T-bills pay you you know, virtually nothing, uh, 15 basis points on the, on the, on the three-month right now. And he highlights that the the, the whole spectrum of, of of asset classes, the return expectations have to come down. And I think that it, it's uh, I think we all knew it. Uh, I uh, but I haven't seen him put this way graphically, and I like it. So um, uh, expect lower returns all along the line and uh, i think you have to be braced for that and i thought it was a great illustration and i encourage you to go to the show notes to take a look at it uh callie cox put out a tweet uh bonds are on the move uh 30 year yield hit 1.6% for the first time in 4 months it isn't a dramatic breakout yet but it it's uh it, it's something that i've been talking about for a while uh i understand my confirmation bias but a chart is a chart and like i said bonds suck uh yield sorry mom uh, yields are up bonds are down and that's in the safe part of the portfolio which is why i highlighted uh uh the 40 of the 60 40 portfolio is supposed to be the ballast and if the 40 starts going down uh yields go up bond prices go down and that 40 uh, uh starts taking on losses uh, I just want you to, uh, at minimum, uh, uh, bring the maturities in and, and shorten up because I just have a hard time seeing how bonds make you a lot of money over the next two, three years. And this is why. Uh, uh, this is a Credit Suisse uh, piece that came out, and it just uh, graphically shows the 10-year Treasury yield. And, uh, you know, I don't think people realize that we used to have, you know, 12%, 13 14% interest rates. Uh, they averaged 10.6% over the course of the 80s. And uh, now we're here at, uh, at 75 basis points, give or take, on the 10-year. So uh, at some point, we're going to retrace at least a piece of this, You know, likely a third to a half to, with a nod to Fibonacci. And um, uh, I just think you have to be, uh, uh, if you're in bonds, I think you have to be very uh, cautious and and be willing to move uh, as as yields pick up. Uh, Tom McClellan uh, cited a CNBC interview with Harvard economist Jason Furman, said that taxes can go up uh, uh, without hurting the economy. Uh, I don't know if he's a Biden uh, uh, consultant or not. Kind of sounds like he might be. Uh, noted that taxes were above twenty percent. This is twenty percent of GDP in the late nineties, and the economy was just fine. Well uh they it was fine but then the 2000s were uh you know god-awful for stocks so uh when you get uh, taxes up to a certain point uh stocks don't like it and uh, uh tom asserts that high taxes killed the tech boom there were other things going on as well y2k uh you know bringing forward all that demand but even still uh, it's hard to argue with this with this chart that that higher taxes are are are, are bad for stocks, and um, you know stay tuned. Market concentration, again, we all know this, but it's just it's, it's it's incredible to see this. They and I'm struck by the the one to the far right, the price return of the top five stocks is 68.7 percent. The bottom 495 3.3. That's how dramatic this has been, uh, over the course of the year. It's unprecedented. I know that term gets bantied about, but I don't have another word. Um, uh, and, and, uh, now I don't have any future implications other than, uh, I think it's going to be hard for the five to be the leaders going forward. I'll talk about that. I've got a couple of points that, I, that came up in the, in the work I did over the week. Uh, federal reserve balance sheet as a percentage of GDP. Again, uh, I'm not a macroeconomist. I don't play one on TV. I tend to shy away from things where I can't say, hey, this is going to mean you have to invest in X and here's where we're gonna make a lot of money. I just, I'm just, when you see extremes of this nature where we uh, were at extremes in 07, 08, and now we're blowing through them with deficit spending and Fed purchases that uh, you know obviously kept the wheels on the economy for this year, but, you know, these have to get paid at some point, they represent a future burden. And I just think we have to be cognizant of them, that we're really at elevated levels. And I'm thinking back to 2018, the Fed tried to, you know, bring the balance sheet down and the market hated it. So uh, how they bring $7 trillion on the balance sheet down when $4 was tough to do, it's going to be really interesting to watch to put it mildly m2 growth money supply again i'm not an economist but this is an incredible uh, explosion of money supply and i bring this up especially in the context of bonds and my bonds still suck mantra that when you have money supply go up meaningfully, you have a 2.5% increase in interest rates. That's just what the charts have shown that I've shared in the past. Uh, every 1% uh, means bonds go down 10, uh, 10%, uh, give or take. So I think it's going to be tough for bonds and uh, at a minimum, shorten your maturities up. Um, this is, uh, oh, and it kind of dovetails, Charlie, with your question before. Uh, you know Biden versus versus Trump well Biden has, has already said that he's going to uh, reverse at least a, a portion of the tax cuts corporate tax cuts that uh that, that Trump uh, implemented and uh, it added uh, $18 to earnings back in 2018 12% of the total so if you take 10 12% away from future earnings in 21 and 22 I doubt that's priced in, and I don't think the stock market is going to like it. So that's just the facts of, of the numbers. And uh, again, it could be different this time, but I really don't think so. Uh, the predicted uh, markets, uh, this is kind of interesting. I, and, and it goes counter to what I said before, that the stock market determines the uh, the, the presidential election. This is a, a a site predicted where you can bet, in essence, on, on probabilities of uh, Biden or Trump winning, and when after the debate and after uh, 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 President Trump's COVID diagnosis, the the uh, uh, predictive market fell fell apart for uh, for Trump went down to forty percent. Uh, Biden's chances now are sixty three percent of winning, and um, I think it's noteworthy. I also think this is what feeds into the consensus that's out there now. Where the polls show Biden with leads, now you can point to predicted lead uh, 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 widening, and I don't. I'm just thinking of if if you go out and talk to a Trump supporter, did the the debate and and the uh, uh, COVID diagnosis change his or her mind? Tend to doubt it. Uh, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens over the next 20 days with, with uh, the predictor markets and certainly the election. So uh, stay tuned, but I just wanna have you knowing why the Biden winning consensus is, is, is out there, just another reason. Uh, that was from the bear traps report, by the way, which I think is fantastic. Uh, uh, Sven Henrich the, the, from the Northman Trader. I just thought this was sort of you know uh, sarcastic and I can approve it. Uh, V-shaped recovery is so strong that, and this is just, you know, again, facts or stuff and things. The V-shaped recovery is so strong that the airlines need to be bailed out again. Consumers need $1,200 stimulus checks again. And rates have to remain at zero for years. Other than that, the economy is fantastic. You know, think about that, that, that phrase. It's kind of crazy. It is kind of crazy. So uh, again, I don't have a way to make money from that. But I thought it was funny and I wanted to share it. Uh, Jeff DeGraff is a great technician, uh, followed him for years, talked to him fairly often in times gone past. He is the chairman and CEO of uh, Renaissance Macro, and I thought this was uh, uh, terrific. He put the timeline of the uh, interactions slash attacks of the, the Department of Justice on Microsoft over the course of the years. And yes, the, 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 uh, tech bust in 2000 contributed to this, but it also shows that the government has a, has a great way of, of distracting companies, hampering companies. Uh, and it, it made Microsoft with other things. It made Microsoft dead money for over 10 years. So I bring that up because, uh, the, Congress has has shown uh, their uh, distaste, for lack of a better word, with the uh, the Facebooks and uh, Googles of the world calling them monopolies. And let's start putting timelines together as to how the DOJ influences their businesses going forward. And I just think it's uh, it's it's noteworthy, and I want to pay attention. I want you to too. Christopher Atkins. Uh, senior market uh, strategist for Cornerstone Macro uh, put this together, and I just—the uh, market has never been this disconnected from the economy, and here it is. From 1960, we have a negative correlation for the first time in forever. Now that could change; probably does over the over the next few months. But it's just another sign of of the crazy times we live in and uh i think that uh you know caution is certainly warranted sell tickets ought to be nearby and um you know I, I think having a little more cash and a little more gold as i've said before makes some sense um and this goes into my my uh esports and gaming uh theme twitch is doing extremely well there's a pun in there uh but the total hours watched of of live streaming of of uh uh esports and gaming being viewed on on Twitch is is going through the roof. And uh, I just think it's a, a crazy uh, trend that uh, I think is going to go on for a while. And uh, The Hustle did a nice job of pointing this out and I recommend The Hustle too. Anyway, that's the show. Thank you very much. Please also subscribe to my Bakes Takes YouTube channel. The audio is the same, but the charts that I reference are, are on the screen. Follow us on Twitter at Bakes Takes underscore and other social media, please use your voice media app, uh, voice memo app. Thank you. Uh, tape your questions and email to Bakes at BakesTakesPodcast.com or write if you prefer. I'll keep you anonymous if you'd like. Uh, thank you for listening. Mike Wilson is my producer. Have a great week. This is Bakes. And before I get into much needed levity, uh, somber note uh, Eddie Van Halen uh, obviously died. Over the course of the week, uh, as you know, I play uh, the the guitar theme for the uh, for the for the Bakes Takes podcast. Uh, I'm no Eddie Van Halen. There will never be another Eddie Van Halen. He is a just a once in a lifetime talent. And uh, go to the show notes. There's some highlights of some of the best uh, uh, clips of him playing live that are out there, in my opinion. And uh, I also tweeted this week. I can't believe he went through 40 years and, and Van Halen never played a Super Bowl halftime show. Uh, with all due respect to the Black Eyed Peas, come on, Van Halen, really? Um, much need of levity. Uh, going through puberty, I think. Uh, <laughs> much needed levity. Uh, uh, the, the Jesselnik Rosenthal Vanity Project, I've mentioned this in the past, Um uh, uh, great podcast. I like the, the banter between he and Greg Rosenthal, his best friend, uh, uh, college friends, uh, Erica is on the show. Uh, uh, Greg and, and Erica work for NFL, uh, networks and, uh, or the NFL itself, I guess. And I listened to it as soon as it shows up on my, on my feed. I think it's fantastic. And he, Anthony Jesenik is obviously a standup comedian. I think he's hysterical. Uh, dark, but hysterical, and uh, uh, recommended the uh, Comedy Store uh, documentary on uh, on Showtime, and I've only seen the first one, but it's fantastic. I recommend it highly. It's fascinating. It's funny. Richard Pryor, Jim Carrey, Jerry Seinfeld, Robin Williams. It is uh, an hour that you will really enjoy, so uh, that's what I have. See you soon, take care now, bye bye.